going to continue our series titled Greatness, and Kurt's done an incredibly wonderful job getting us launched over the last two weeks. So if you have your Bible with you and you want to turn in the Scripture, we're going to be going to Matthew chapter 22, and um, we're going to be looking at Matthew 22, beginning with verse 34. For the past two weeks, we've been talking about a conversation Jesus had with religious scholars of his day. This was a normal activity. You see, it was not uncommon for people to have spiritual mentors. Spiritual mentors. And when they discovered a school of theology and thought and philosophy that uh, was attractive and identified life-giving opportunities, uh, men and women, but mostly men, men publicly, women more privately, began to follow these spiritual mentors. There were a couple of camps in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, perhaps you've heard of them if you've read Scripture. There was another group called the Sadducees, and then there were several other groups around them. And Jesus was engaging in teaching, which is itinerant teaching. Remember, Jesus, you read the Gospels, Jesus went from place to place, town to town, different kinds of people wherever it was that he went. And as he went, he declared the good news of the kingdom, the good news that God is at work to change and to transform us all by the power of his great love. Didn't you love the songs we sang this morning? God's faithfulness, God's kindness, God's goodness, God's trustworthiness. I love the fact that Kurt highlighted that last song that we sang that we can build our lives on the love of Jesus because that love is a firm foundation. Jesus is engaging in a conversation with people. When he's challenged by a religious scholar of the day, the religious scholar of the day asks uh, an expected question. Of all the rules and regulations, which are primary? Which of the rules and regulations are primary? And actually, Jesus gave a regular, ordinary answer, an expected answer, but a penetrating answer. And so in Matthew 22, beginning with verse 34, get my electronic device back on. There we go. I'm reading from the message. And uh, if you want to follow along, Matthew 22, 34 is the beginning place. When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, don't you love it? Competitive folks, relig religious folks are never competitive, are they? Uh, no, I didn't think so. When the, when the Pharisees had heard how he bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault, thinking, we're going to get him now. He bested them, but we're going to get him. One of their religion scholars spoke up for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Yeah, ho hoping that they could just uh, make Jesus turn red-faced, embarrass him publicly. So they pose this question, Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. All your passion, your prayer, and your intelligence. This is the most important. 
The first on any list. The first on any list. Now let's just pause there for a second because Kurt's been talking to us over the last couple of weeks about what it looks like to love God with our passion, our prayer, and our intelligence. Last week he gave us an acrostic, S-H-O-W, what it looks like to love God with our passion, our prayer, and our intelligence. If you weren't here, uh, I'll just go over that for you a second. If you were here, perhaps you can go with it. You can go over it with me because perhaps you remember. So S-H-O-W, how we show God our love. We show God our love through surrender, through surrender, through surrender. God, you know best. I don't. He read out of Isaiah, says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Your ways are higher than mine. And I love that passage of Scripture because it allows me to understand that God always has the capacity to inform my life as I surrender to his life and his will. Surrender. H. Honor. Honor. Talk about giving God a place of priority in your life. Honor. Surrender. Honor. Obey. Oh. You know, I, I, love, I love my grandchildren, and I love my children, and I, I really, really do like children. And this is a regular conversation that goes on uh, amongst children. You hear them playing, and they get into a little spat, and they're arguing, and you hear one of them say to the other, you're not the boss of me. You know, that's where I get in trouble with obedience, because I regularly want to say to God, you're not the boss of me. But if I'm going to actively engage passionately God's love, I surrender, I honor, and uh, I obey, I obey. Recognizing that obedience to the King of Kings is the best action step I'll ever take, whether I understand it or not. Surrender, honor, obey. And then W, worship. We show God our love through those four things and oh, so many, many more. Love the Lord your God with your passion, your prayer, and your intelligence. This is the first and most important the first on any list. But there is a second, and that's where I want to pick up today. There is a second. There's two that become one. There's a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. And the reason I chose the message is because it says it just a little bit differently. And I like to stretch our minds to think a little bit differently now and again. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Pegs. I, I, I um, think about a mud closet that I grew up in. The house I grew up in had a mud closet. Now, we don't have them around here because there's not these places that go in and out because it's so cold and nasty and snowy and you've got to take your boots off. I grew up in north, northeastern Oklahoma with a little mud closet and, and the pegs, there were pegs on the wall and it was always a place to hang your jacket. Like, hang your jacket, take your nasty clothes off and to, to move on. The, the place where you hang your stuff. He says, he says, 
these commands are pegs, places where you hang your life, places you hang your stuff, your life stuff, places you hang your life. Everything in God's law and the prophets hang from these. These are pegs on which you hang your life, and everything in the law and the prophet hangs on these pegs as well. So today as we talk about this, and I've uh, want to take you through just some really simple thoughts about what it looks like, what greatness looks like in loving others well. And talk to you from this perspective. Uh, greatness is being grounded in love. Greatness is being grounded in love. Grounded love is what I want to talk to you. So some of you who know me know that I love plumerias, uh, and uh, they're my favorite. They're fr- my favorite flower. And uh, my wife would say I have way too many plants. And, uh, but, I, but I love them. And, and when I think about the plumerias, I know that the soil in which they're planted is essential to their productivity and their life cycle. And what I mean by, by, by productivity, I mean their flowering, beautiful aroma is oriented in the soil in which they're planted. And as I was thinking about my love for plumerias, and I was thinking about this service and sermon and talk and greatness. I started thinking about grounded love, and my mind went to the soil in which our lives are planted. The soil in which our lives are planted. And I want to suggest to you that love is the soil in which our lives are planted. And as we are grounded, rooted, I think that's a fire alarm. Um, oh, Amber Alert. Well, I, okay, all your, all your phones went off at the same time. Well, um, that's interesting. That's never happened before. I'm glad it's not a fire alarm because that went off and the alarm wouldn't until the fire marshal showed up. Where was I? Rooted and grounded in love. I'm suggesting to you that love is the soil in which Our lives are planted. And love is the soil in which our lives produce the best fruit. Love is the soil in which our lives produce the best fruit. So let's talk about loving others as well as you love yourself. And we need to begin at the beginning. And to begin at the beginning, we need to talk about this love that God has given to us. And so this love is love received, love given. Love received, love given. First things first. Love received, love given. See, interestingly enough, there are these thought processes that we go through, and some of us are just wired in such a way as to get down to business. Let's just do it. And I want to say to you, that's awesome But before we do anything, let us be those who are rooted, grounded in love. And so we receive love, and love flows through us as we give love to others. So when we talk about receiving love, we we just want to say publicly, we are a people, and we are becoming a people who love God passionately. We are and we are becoming 
We are and we are becoming a people who love others passionately. I want to suggest to you that we'll never have the capacity to give away what we have not received. Hence, first things first, being recipients of God's love before we try to give away God's love is essential. Only as we make ourselves available to receive God's love do we have the capacity to give it away. Only as we make ourselves available to receive God's love do we have the capacity to give it away. Several weeks ago, in a dream, I was in a meeting with a well-known friend of mine, a guy that I listen to on podcasts all the time. He's one of my favorite preachers. He was preaching, and as he got to the end of his service, he was uh, praying for people. And as he prayed for people, he was calling out those who had sickness and disease. And, and I found myself, I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting like that. Uh, it can be intimidating to be in a meeting like that. And, and I was in a meeting in this dream. I was in this meeting, and there was this longing in my heart. There's this longing in my heart. And I was just hoping that my friend would look at me and give me hope. Talked about this several weeks back. I, I, I was hoping that my friend would give me hope. As he was calling out and praying for people, and God's presence and power was at work. And in the dream, just as I was about to give up hope, he looked directly at me and just spoke these words, powerful and penetrating words. And he simply said this, Sit before the Lord in stillness, and I will heal you. The Lord says, sit before me in stillness, and I will heal you. Now, I wish I could tell you I knew what that meant. I, I really don't know what that means specifically. But if we're going to make ourselves available to receive God's love, we have to make ourselves available to be present with the Lord. So I'm going to talk to you about just making yourself be available to the presence of the Lord. I mentioned a month ago about a book that I was uh, not ready to recommend. I'm fully ready to recommend it now. A book by a guy named Jared Boyd. Jared is a vineyard friend, and uh, Jared has written a book titled Imaginative Prayer, A Year-Long Guide for Your Child's Spiritual Formation. I've been reading that book, and it has contributed greatly to my understanding of what it looks like to sit before the Lord in silence. It's a journey as I navigate my way through reading every day that as I read the stories that he writes about making myself available to God's love and I just simply think and reflect and act that I'm experiencing the presence of the Lord. And so I want to suggest to you that maybe you're not called to read imaginative prayer, but I know that you're called to be a people of prayer. I know that you're called to be a people of the book, reading Scripture. And so as we talk about prayer and the book and some other spiritual disciplines that people have practiced throughout the history of the Christian church, let me just identify that these are the places where God invites us and longs to meet us. So prayer, prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Times of Scripture reading that lead to times of 
silence and solitude, listening to the voice of the Lord that leads us to fasting and obedience. You see, these practices of the spiritual disciplines are central to our health and well-being. They are central in the ground of love in which we are rooted. You see, Jesus' invitation to us to love God passionately and love others as we love ourselves only makes sense in the larger picture of the gospel. And that picture is simply this. Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. His death, not only for our sin and our transgression, but for the sin and transgression of all. His death for us all. His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension. The only calling for us to love God with everything and love our neighbors as ourselves makes sense as we begin to understand the message of new life that comes to us in Jesus. The message of new life that comes to us in Jesus. Recognizing that within our own strength, and in our own power, we are incapable and insufficient of loving God appropriately and or loving others well. First things first, love received, love given. Planted in the soil of love, our lives bloom. And as they bloom, they show forth the glory of God's goodness and greatness and the aroma of the gospel that he's calling us to be obedient in. Now, how is it that we then let this love flow out of us? How is it that we let this love flow out of us? So, four things I want to talk to you about, just really quickly, four things. The first thing is simply love intentionally. Love intentionally. If we love everyone, but don't identify someone... We more than likely love no one. If we love everyone, but don't identify someone, we more than likely love no one. See, it's just this mental exercise. I love everybody. We have to attach our love, we have to attach our love to someone. And that simply means we have to choose to love. We have to choose to love. And this choice is like most other choices in life. We cannot make it one time. I wish we could. I mean, I wish I could just say one time I choose to love and it would just be done with. But that's not how it works, at least not for me. Maybe it does work that way for you. I doubt it. I doubt it. I'm guessing that you and I are much alike in the fact that we have to choose to love. One of the prayerful practices that I engage in consciously almost every morning and sometimes it's subconsciously. I wake up, I get out of bed, and when my feet hit the floor, I pray this prayer very quickly or something very much like it. It's not always exactly the same, but it goes like this. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today, Lord Jesus, wherever you lead me, wherever you take me, wherever you send me, may your love flow through me. May I be someone who shines brightly the hope that is found in your life. And then I just sort of go on about my way. 
And sometimes when I'm praying that, I get notions and nudges by the Spirit. Notions and nudges by the Spirit directly attaching sometimes names of people that I know I need to pray for and or engage that day. So here, here's how this works. Choose to love. Choose to love. That's the way I pray. Here's another way to think about it, however. Choosing to love means simply inviting the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you in your everyday, ordinary life. Invite the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you in your everyday, ordinary life. Oh, not singularly looking for big opportunities, but looking for everyday, ordinary opportunities. Looking for opportunities that are right outside your front door and mine. They're called neighbors. Neighbors. Opportunities. Neighbors. Looking outside your front door and mine. Co-workers. Acquaintances. Friends. You see, you see what I'm talking about? So choose to love intentionally. Look for opportunities. Here, here's, here's just another couple of thoughts. Intentionally create space in your life for others. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. I know most of you have a, an electronic calendar or something that you carry around in your pocket that is uh, on paper. And it's sort of how you've structured your day. Appointments and expectations and meetings and calls. And, and all I want to ask you to do is simply this. Don't schedule your day back to back to back to back to back to back to back with no time given. Because what happens is if you schedule your day back to back to back to back to back to back to back with no time given, the first appointment or call that goes past the time you established messes you up for the rest of the day. And I've discovered I get messed up before 9 o'clock regularly. And then I'm just chasing my calendar the rest of the day. What if we thought a little more with space in mind? Just a little more space. Give your space a little more time than your, your, give yourself a little more space and time than you think you actually need. Right? Man, if you, if you just put three segments of 10 minutes extra that you thought, hey, I can get this done, but I'll give myself 10 minutes extra, I'll bet you that we would be less anxious and more available to be intentional with the love we give to others. Now, some of you are going to put that into practice really quickly. I hope you do. But I'm going to remind myself right now that choosing to love means I have to love even when it's inconvenient. I've made space, but I have to love even when it's inconvenient. Even if I don't want to be doing it when the opportunity arises. I, I have to be able to love when it's inconvenient. And interestingly enough, I regularly run into places and spaces that if it was my choosing and my choosing only, I would just move on. But the nudging, prompting presence of the Holy Spirit that I've asked to lead, guide, and direct me says, pause, slow down, wait, give some time. Your convenience is not the most important thing right now. So love, love intentionally. 
The second thing I want to say simply, and I'm going to move really quickly. Second thing is love, inten- uh, love intentionally, love practically. Love practically. Say, what, what do you mean love practically? Well, you ever met someone, family, friend, acquaintance, neighbor, as you engage their life, you suddenly recognize, oh, wow, the needs are so great. What am I going to do? Love practically. So let me just give you a couple of, couple of hints on loving practically. Remember, God's love flows through us to others for his glory, for our good, and through us for the good of others. And so loving practically is simply this. Don't be overwhelmed by what you can't do. Don't be over, overwhelmed by what you can't do. I mean, I've met all kinds of needs I couldn't meet. I've met all kinds of needs I couldn't meet. So don't be overwhelmed by what you can't do. Engage where you are with what you have. Engage where you are with what you have. And always keep in the back of your mind that sometimes our love needs are so great that no single person can fill them. Our love needs and the people that we meet, their love needs are so great that no single person can fill them, including you and me. And so just recognize, do what I can do by engaging where I am with what I have. Do what I can do by not being overwhelmed by what I can't do. And then recognize that I may not be the only person that God will bring into this individual's life to show them powerful encounters of love. Remind you of a phrase that's accredited to Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is said to have quoted these words or stated these words, small things done with great love will change the world. Small things done with great love will change the world. You know what a small thing is, right? It's the thing that you and I deem as insignificant. It's the thing that cost us hardly anything. A smile, a pause, a moment, a conversation, an invitation. Quickly, can I pray with you right now? And a 15-second prayer that was just a simple gift that you gave away that didn't mean anything, that cost you hardly anything. These are the things that Mother Teresa was talking about when she says small things done with great love will change the world. Love intentionally, love practically, love inclusively. Love inclusively. Let me just ask you to pray and think. To think and pray. 
Those are, those are interchangeable. We pray and we think, we think and we pray, we pray and we think, we think and we pray. And so as we pray and think and as we think and pray, I want to encourage you to actively pray and think, think and pray about expanding your circles of concern. Expanding your circles of concern. There are things that you and I are naturally drawn to, and that's a really, really good thing. And we should give ourselves to those things to which we're drawn. And we should constantly be inviting the Holy Spirit to expand our circles of concern. And our circles of concern, as I thought about them this week, look something like this, at least mine. My circle of concern, my first circle of concern is my family. My family. But my love shouldn't stop there. My intentionality shouldn't stop there. My practical application shouldn't stop there. My, my, my love should extend beyond my family, and it should go to my friends. It should extend beyond my friends. It should go to my coworkers and my neighbors. Maybe they're not friends, but they're coworkers and neighbors. And so my family, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, and you get where I'm going. And then it should extend to strangers. Strangers. See, this was the challenging thing that Jesus was appropriating in Matthew 22. He was saying, it's common for the rule of love to be practiced among those that you care about. I'm just challenging you to love others as well as you love yourself. Love others as well as you love yourself. Strangers. And then if we look at the law of love, Jesus stretches the law of love, this loving others as well as we love ourselves, he stretches it beyond strangers. Strangers are just those people that you don't know, right? The next step beyond strangers are people that you do know and you don't like. We call them enemies. Or maybe better, you think you know them and you don't like them. We often call those people enemies. You see, as we pray and as we think as we think and as we pray we're asking the spirit to stretch our circles of concern so that we're available and i say oh god help me by the power of your spirit to break free from the boundaries of the circles in which i'm comfortable john wimber used to say this prayer and faith go together. And he says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. You get it? Faith applied is risky business. And risky business is faith applied in inviting and including strangers and enemies into our circles of care and concern. One final thing, and I'm done. We love intentionally, we love practically, we love inclusively, and we love patiently. We love patiently. And here, all I'm asking of myself and of, uh, of us as a community is simply that we give ourselves to committing to a life of love. Committing to a life of love. The long road the tedious road, the challenging road, the difficult road, because it has ups and downs, twists and turns, exhilaration and extreme desolation and disappointment, but committing ourselves 
to love for the long haul and committing ourselves to be those who receive God's love for the long haul. And as we receive God's love, we give it away. John Wesley talked about these two passages, the, the two greatest commands, love God with everything and love others as well as we love ourselves. He says, he says when we talk about defining a life of holiness, when we talk about living our life well, he says simply this, he says, there's nothing more and nothing less than loving God with one's whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and one's neighbor as oneself. Just let that sink into you. There's nothing more or nothing less with regard to a faithful life given to living holy than loving God with one's whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving one's neighbor as ourself. Our life of transformation demands that we include being loved and allowing God's love to flow through us to others. Love received, love given.